Hello, friends. That's right. It's that time of year again. The Masters Tournament is upon us. Spring is springing. And we have a great episode of the Lynx Golf Podcast for you today. This is your host, Al Lunsford, digital editor at Lynx. In our spring 2022 issue of Lynx, George Pepper's column was called Wishful Thinking. That issue is out now. Ten things I'd love to see at this year's Masters, but likely won't. I'm going to read you uh, an excerpt, the intro to George's column, to give you an idea of the flavor of it. That's the topic of our conversation today. George's column reads, These days, with the Open Championship being the last major of the year, we all have entirely too much time to sit majorless until next year's Masters. Too much time to ponder, to anticipate, to dream. All of which can lead to the sort of fanciful notions I've been having. Here's what I'd like to see happen when the show finally begins in Augusta. Always love this time of year. The sense of anticipation just keeps building and building. Back in January, it felt like a long time. I I even remember like a month ago seeing a commercial for the Masters and being like, gosh, it's still a month away. Time just flew by. Now we're here. It's extra special for me. I get to go to the Masters for the first time ever. So my excitement level is ratcheted up to the max. Combine that with my Tar Heels in the Final Four against Duke as I'm recording this podcast. So so maybe you get an idea of where I'm at mentally right now. It is, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm at like a 23. But I can't wait. George has a lot to share with you about his column. Some outlandish, unlikely scenarios. And it's a really fun conversation with him, as always. Before we get to that, I'm going to set up our topic of the week. George answered this question later in the episode. And it is a subject we've covered. I did a column, I don't know, a year or two ago on this question. We decided to ask our readers again, though, for their answers. A really fun thought exercise. But the question is, if you could only play one golf course for the rest of your life, just one, what course would you pick? So this is not the course up at the top of your bucket list. This is not some sort of dream course scenario. This is, well, I guess it could be, but this is asking you, you get one. I tell you, you can play golf for the rest of your life, but it has to be on this one golf course. What are you going to pick? So a lot of great responses on this poll. As most of you know, listening to this podcast, I think the vast majority of you are probably signed up for our Lynx Insider email newsletter. I'm just going to keep beating that into your skull every week when I get on the podcast here, but it's so easy to sign up. It's free. All you got to do is go to our website, lynxmagazine.com, and there is a, a link on the header up there. It says, get our newsletters. Click that. Enter your email address. We have a We have our insider newsletter that comes out three times a week with great editorial stuff from print and digital exclusive stories are in there, as well as the podcast. Then you also have a real estate-focused newsletter. We give you a glimpse at some of the best golf communities and properties in the country, sometimes international as well. But again, it's just entering your email address. That's all you got to do, and you're in. Sundays, we do our topic of the week. So let's get going and hear some of your answers. Once again, our question is, if you could only play one golf course for the rest of your life, where would you play? What course would it be? I will start with Dwayne A. 
Without question, it would be Cypress Point Golf Club. It's almost a religious experience. Such incredible holes, again and again and again. But 16 and 17 are two that stay with you forever. Magical. I was very jealous as our publisher just recently got to play Cypress on a little boy's trip. I mean, for me, that's still a pipe dream. But I think if you had the chance to play one course over and over again, I, who's going to argue with that choice? Our friends at Destination Kohler are going to like this one from CJ. Whistling straights, it is difficult but fair, and its 19th hole as a venue to discuss the day's round is second to none. That course showed out at the Ryder Cup. That's at the top of my list. It's one I haven't seen or been to up in Kohler, Wisconsin. Got to make that one happen. Peter writes, Royal Dornick, the variety of holes coupled with the weather, literally makes this a different experience every time it is played. Alternatively, I would choose Fisher's Island for the same reasons. Additionally, the ambience of both experiences allow for everything you need and nothing contrived. Certainly hear a lot of good things about both of those places. Roberto writes, Sand Hills in Nebraska, like the Vatican to Catholics, Sand Hills is to golfers. Let's do some rapid fire here. Jim says Muirfield Village. Ed H. says Nantucket Golf Club in Nantucket. Don says Pebble Beach. Jeff says National Golf Links of America. We'll slow it down for David. Arcadia Bluffs in Michigan, probably the most underrated course in the U.S., in terms of beauty, conditioning, challenge, accommodations, and amenities. And with the addition of the new South Course patterned after Chicago Golf Club, it is definitely a destination worth visiting. Like Wisconsin, Michigan, two states that have really become golf hotbeds. Charlie has a good pick, and for good reason. This took some thought, but I'd have to say Kings Barnes. Great variety and challenge of holes, excellent clubhouse and range. Plus, you can live in St. Andrews. Man does not live by golf alone. A few more here, and I'll give you mine. Tom says, if I could play one course for the rest of my life, it would be Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester, New York. The reason being, I learned to play the wonderful game of golf 73 years ago at Oak Hill, where the caddies were allowed to play every Monday. It was the East course, and with my hickory-shafted clubs in hand, I played every Monday. I got the chance to play Oak Hill last year. Boy, what a treat after the restoration by Andrew Green. That's, of course, everyone will see next year in the 2023 PGA Championship. It is a dandy. Last couple here. Peter writes, The opening holes of Maunalani North Course on the island of Hawaii have a distinct Parkland feel, while the closing holes have a desert golf quality. Nonetheless, the mesmerizing turquoise ocean views and the treacherous black lava hazards remind you that you are in paradise. Peter's got the right idea. If you can play golf on only one course, you might as well make it paradise. Last one from another David, Tobacco Road. Mike Strands' artistry and imagination at its very best. Stellar combination of visceral interest, risk-reward opportunities, and pure fun. I never tire of returning. Great choice, David. Great choice, everyone, on this topic. I think I'm going to stick with my answer from when I originally wrote that column. And if I could only play one course for the rest of my life, I would choose Winter Park 9 in Winter Park, Florida, right next to Orlando. Nine holes, walking only for the most part. It's an in-town course, but it has full-length holes. Most are a little bit shorter, but you get par threes, fours, and fives. Work your way down a street, then you go across. You cut back at a church and go around a graveyard next to a railroad. 
Anyone who's played Winter Park knows what I'm talking about here. A lot of shot variety. It's in great shape. Keith Reb and Riley Johns did a really good job turning this into a gym and a must-play, in my opinion, if you're in the Orlando area. Say if you're at the PGA show next year, gotta go get to Winter Park 9. And another reason why I chose that is as I get older, I love walking the course. It'll be a lot easier to walk nine holes than it is 18. And it's just got such interest, such variety. It's just a really, really cool vibe. And Winter Park is a great place to be in general. Thank you again. All right, let's get this show on the road and get to our conversation with GP, as we call him, George Pepper, talking about 10 things he'd love to see at the Masters, but likely won't. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome back again. We're happy to be joined by George Pepper once again today to talk about his spring column uh, from the spring 2022 issue of Lynx. Uh, springtime means it's time for the Masters yet again, unless you're talking about 2020 when we played in November, but things are back to normal. And with Masters on the mind, George, you had some thoughts about what you'd like to see that some things we haven't seen in a while or maybe ever happen at the Masters. What did you ponder? What kind of scenarios did you uh, put out there into the ether to hope that maybe something could happen? Yeah, well, I've, I've apparently had entirely too much time to sit and consider this uh, Masters thing. You, you know, with the new majors, with the championship in July, and then we have all this stuff. Time goes fast, so... I've been thinking about it a lot, and uh, I do have what I'm calling thinking the 10 wishes for this year's Masters. Then it begins, so I'll try to do them in chronological order in terms of the playing of the Masters that week. And I would like to see an end to the part three jinx. Now, I know uh, this is a cute storyline every year that no one's ever won the part three tournament and Masters in the same year, but let's just get it over with the whole uh, the idea of cute has kind of taken over the par three contest, in my view. It used to be at least a semi-serious competition. And now you've got caddy sitting tee shots and kids cavorting all over the place. Some of the players don't even know. I think it's kind of uh, beneath the dignity of what is otherwise the most dignified uh, tournament in golf. I, I, I think, frankly, uh, Bobby Jones and Cliff Roberts would be appalled at uh, what the par three contest has become. But anyway, uh, my feel is inevitably somebody's going to double dip and win both tournaments in the same year. And I'd really like to see that happen while I, uh, while I still have enough of a brain to appreciate it, which means the sooner the better. So um, I've taken an education guess on what the chances <clears throat> of each of these things happening. And in this case, uh, I think there's probably a 5% chance uh, second one I have is I'd like to see rain and lots of it. Now, you have to hear me out on this one. I'm looking for downpours like I got at Makrahanasha in last uh, month's uh, podcast. 
uh, only on Thursday and Friday afternoons. Why? So that they'll have to discontinue play for those days and resume play early on Friday and Saturday mornings, which will actually force the masters people to break what I think is a silly policy of banning live network TV coverage before 2 p.m. They'll actually have to show some real golf by people in the hunt in the morning. Chance of that happening? Yeah, I'm thinking maybe 15% will get bad enough rain. Uh, third thing is wind, lots of it. Now, one of the reasons I'm saying this is I can't be there this year. My wife has a uh, 50th high school reunion we're going to, so I'm gonna miss being in Augusta. But whether I'm not on there, I think nothing adds drama to the masters like a good stiff breeze. I mean, the fairways narrow up, the greens get really small, and the already very slippery uh, greens get become just terrifying uh, and sort of fun to watch. Uh, these guys put the ball off the green the way we mortals do. Ideally, I'd like to see the uh, wind come out of the north because that turns the opening hole into the toughest one on the golf course. And it also converts the two uh, inward par fives from pushovers to punishers. Uh, chance on that happening, eh, probably 10%. Now, assuming uh, those, if I, those are granted, whether they are or not, those first two wishes, I'd like to see the course at least stand up better than it has in the past. There's some hope for that uh, this year in that about uh, 50 yards has been added to holes uh, 11, 15, and 18. Whether they'll stretch it on any given day uh, that much, we'll see. But let's hope that means that the players will be hitting at those holes with something under or longer than a seven iron, and maybe we'll get uh, a higher winning score. I mean, the average uh, winning score of the last five champions has been 13.4 under par. And two years ago, Dustin Johnson shot 268, which is 20 under. I just think that's too low. Um, the chance that we'll see a score like that in the 280s, maybe maybe one in four, if there's a combination of weather and, uh, and otherwise tough playing conditions in place. Uh, that gets us to if we can't have high scores, I'd like to see low scores, really low scores. Uh, I'm talking about rounds of 62 or better and a winning total of not 20, but 25 under. Now, why? I think that'd be enough to insult and embarrass the powers that be at Augusta to the point that they might take unilateral action with regard to the golf ball. I mean, throttling it back. The club could easily Augusta National has the power to commission its own throttle back golf ball to be played by all competitors in the 2023 Masters. And if they were to do that, can you think of any player who would refuse to participate? And I think this might be the only way to incite the USGA and the RNA to take the kind of substantive action they should have taken decades ago. So that's my rant. Uh, chance of it uh, happening? I think there's probably a reasonable 15% chance that if the scoring were that way, the Augusta National would have the guts to do something like that. I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, number six, I'd like to see an amateur in contention. Uh, after all, this event was started by an amateur, Bobby Jones, and amateurs have been an integral part of it since day one. Uh, Ken Turry and Frank Stranahan uh, and Charlie Coe have each come pretty close finishing as runner-up. But no amateur has made it into the top 10 in the last 60 years. 
I mean, the pros are just too good and amateurs are usually playing it for the first time. There are six amateurs in this year's field at the moment, Austin Greaser, uh, Stuart Hagstad, Aaron Jarvis, Kate Nakajima, James Pyatt, and Laird Shepard. I would love to see at least one of them on the leaderboard on Sunday. Chance of that, 5%. In the same vein, um, it'd be nice to see victory by a first timer. And if you discount the inaugural winner, Horton Smith, uh, only two rookies have won the Masters, Gene Sarazen back in 1935, and then Fuzzy Zeller in 79. <clears throat> the, the Augusta National just doesn't give up its secrets quickly or easily. Um, that said, Will Salatoris came within a stroke of doing the deed last year. Uh, as of this writing, uh, 14 pros will be making their debuts at Augusta, and I just think it would be a hoot to see the Masters Trophy engraved with a name like Garrick Higo or Harry Higgs or Taylor Gooch. As an aside, I'm pulling for that group to be enlarged by one in the person of the young guy who finished second at Riviera a few weeks ago, Cameron Young. Uh, he happens to be the son of the pro at a club I used to belong to, Sleepy Hollow. He's a terrific kid with a terrific game. There's a, the first hole at, at Sleepy Hollow is, I don't know, 380 yards maybe uh and on a, my best day i could hit it with a drive and a full pitching wedge normally i'd be hitting an eight or a nine iron and i'm told that um cameron routinely drives the green and I, I i saw his statistics and he may now be the longest hitter on the tour anyway i'd love to see him in there too uh number eight uh i'd like to see a nation's breakthrough uh, it's, a, I mean, first player from a particular nation to win. And I, I doubt we could see anything that could match the impact of what uh, Hideki Matsuyama did for Japan last year. But this field does have a couple of good possibilities in, uh, in Norway's Victor Hovland and uh, uh, Joaquin Neiman with a victory under his belt in L.A. And then you got Sung J.M., who was a uh, joint runner-up a couple of years ago. So, you know, there's some possibilities. See what comes there. Uh, Francesco Molinari, Open Championship winner, whose game seems to be coming back. The only one I don't see as a good possibility, and I don't know how we got in there. I, I think he finished in the top X at the U.S. Open last year is, is Molinari's countryman, or Paisan, I should say, Guido Migliosi. But, uh, you know, there's a chance one of them could do it. I'd say maybe 15% on that one. Um, number nine, a long playoff. I'd love to see a playoff that goes more than two holes, and we have never seen one, despite the fact since 1977, when they went to sudden death format, there have been 11 playoffs. Not one of them had gone more than two holes. You know, what, I, what I'd really like to see is them go back to the original uh, playoff format. It started on 10 and to, went to 11 and right through the back nine. I would have loved to have seen one of those playoffs get to the tee of the 12th hole or the 13th. That would have been so cool. I mean, when you're watching a dramatic Sunday at the Masters, you don't want to see it end. So, so let's hope that they get at least three holes. Finally, uh, the last wish is for a victory by Rory McIlroy. Now, I think most of in the, us in the press tend not to root for players as much for stories. And assuming Tiger is in the field this year, the best story will likely be McElroy's attempt to join the uh, winners of the career Grand Slam, Sarah's and Hogan Nicholas from Player and Woods. Um, now, Rory not only has the game to stay in with those five, 
he has the character. I've become a big fan of his. Over the past decade or so, he has grown into a very thoughtful young man, uh, a leader out there who is respected by his peers and, and loved by fans on both sides of the Atlantic. And, and for him to join the Masters Champions Club would be as much a credit to those guys as it would be to him. So uh, chance of that, 10%. Um, I hope so. So in my dream Masters, uh, Rory McIlroy wins the Part 3 contest, then battles through two days of rain, part total of 2-8, uh, which is good enough with Austin Greaser, Guido Migliosi, and Taylor Gooch. And, and then off they go into the gloaming, all four of them uh, matching scores on 18 and 10 uh, before hit, heading up 18 again, where uh, Rory sticks a six iron approach and hits from the hole and wins the green jacket. Chance of that, zero or less. <laughs> there you have it. Wishful thinking. Uh, I hope maybe one of them will happen this year. Well, we haven't had, for those wondering, we haven't had a playoff at the Masters since 2017. Uh, can you, do you remember who that playoff featured by any chance? Oh, Testing you from a trivia standpoint. I don't know who would be in that. Who was in that 2017 playoff? 2017, sudden death, two players, uh, Justin Rose and Sergio Garcia. Wow. So that was Sergio. <laughs> it only lasted one hole, uh, and Justin Rose hit it in the trees off the tee, so he was forced to chip out. Sergio had two putts to win on the first playoff hole, so definitely a forgettable playoff, um, but a pretty memorable winner um, in Sergio Garcia. Yeah. But I, I would love, love to see a playoff. Um that how cool would that be though if they just went straight to twelve for that playoff? Straight to twelve would be even better. Yeah, that is a good idea. I like that even better. Or a cumulative three-hole playoff aim in corner. Yeah, that yeah, might be even better. Looking back, I I hope to, you know, fingers crossed, everything is lining up for me. I hope that this year is actually the first time that I will be at the Masters. Oh, lucky you! You're going to have such so, a huge well, not if your uh, your hopes for number two and three on your list, a lot of rain and a lot of wind, I think I could do without those. Although it would be, as you mentioned, it would be kind of nice to get the broadcast going early on Saturday. Um, credit where credit's due, the Masters app has done a lot to give people some live golf to watch while they're waiting on the broadcast, but you know, if you're somewhere where you're all, all you've got is a, a TV and a cable subscription, you're waiting around till middle afternoon before you can watch any masters. It's one of those, you know, really tough itches. You can't scratch uh, until they let you. You're going to have a good time no matter what, because the masters is like pizza. Even when it's bad, it's still good. Very true. Your point about a, a nation breaking through is a good one as I, I didn't realize at the time. It, it was probably something they said over and over again that day uh, when Francesco Molinari was leading the masters, he would have become the first Italian to win. Of course he did not. And that was also tiger's victory. Um, mm. 
Right. So Tiger spoiled the Italian dream at that point in time. I'm not sure many people would have minded that much anyways. And to see Rory win the Grand Slam would just be, would be something special. I think that that continues to be one of the biggest stories every single year. And uh, fortunately for us, he is young enough to have a lot of cracks at it. So hopefully we get that one day. Yeah, when he was young, he got three fairly quickly. I wasn't in any hurry for him to get the fourth, but as he gets older, and he's had a, a lot of uh, heartbreak there that pulled it back on the 10th hole. And um, he's also had a history of, of folding in the fourth round of tournaments. So what I'd really like to see is see him grab the 54-hole lead and hang on. And win. Do you have any idea or or notion of when the masters par three jinx became a thing i i I mean when you first started covering the tournament was that like a a story point at all that whoever wins the par three is not going to win the tournament when do you know when that started yeah i think it was i mean no i go back my um sort of coverage as you say the masters goes back to the late 70s uh, it goes back at least that far. So we're talking, you know, 45 years. And at that time, it was already a point of contention. Whoever wins part three. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was noted. It was, yeah, and, <laughs> and it gets crazier every year. And the sad thing is with the, the, uh, the, the making the silly atmosphere now, a few serious contenders, I think, are skipping it. So... Um, you hate to see that. So um, those who are playing it are the first-time players, of course, and they don't have much of a chance of winning. So uh, it, maybe this will go on forever. Who knows? Yeah. Well, all of these things remain to be seen here shortly as we enjoy another uh, tradition unlike any other. Uh, but, George, I, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on another topic of the week of ours. It's actually a question that I have previously asked you for a a digital column we did a while back. Uh, And the question is, if you only had one course that you could play for the rest of your life, so you can only play this course. We asked a similar question. If you only had one round left, where would you play? This is if you could play for over and over and over again, just one course, what would you play? And I think I knew your answer. I, I looked back to see what it was on um, that column that we did. But what would be your choice for the one course you, you would play? Yeah, that's a really easy question for me to answer. Uh, and it's the old course at St. Andrews. Um, and there are so many reasons that I could give you for that. Well, one of them is that, frankly, uh, when you talk about a course that you can play for the rest of your life, that is uh, one that as a practical matter, I think I would have a decent chance of being able to play for the rest of my life because it's a fairly easy walk. It's a dead flat ground with short spaces between uh, tees and greens. Um, that also means you can play it quickly. And uh, from, I would say, November to March, when the tourists aren't there, that is the way the locals, rel- relatively quickly, I would say usually well under four hours, and, and I like that. Um, second, under reasonable weather conditions, the old course is the easiest championship course in golf. Now, trouble is you 
get a lot of days with unreasonable weather conditions, lots of wind in particular, and that can beat you up. But on a calm day, um, I think most first time players of the old course are quite surprised at, at how, well, how well they score. Uh, because you get reasonably good distance. It's hard ground. The ball rolls on. Most of the greens are open. Um, a lot of the greens, someone once said, every 10-foot putt at the old course is a straight one, and there's a lot of truth to that. So uh, it can be had on a relatively easy day. And if I'm going to play it for the rest of my life, I'm not going to be getting any better. So I like a relatively uh, benign course. Uh, third and... Uh, Maybe most important, it is a relentlessly fascinating course, the most relentlessly fascinating course in the world. All those nooks and crannies and dips and knolls. Um, and, and with every change in wind speed or direction, the strategy uh, of each hole shifts. Every time you play it, uh, you learn something either about the course or your own uh, ability or lack thereof. It's, it's just as easy it can, can be on a given day, you'll always have uh, moments where uh, you, moments, I think I was Henry Longhurst uh, said this, when you have to step back and look at the assignment and say to yourself, now, what exactly do I want to do here with this ball? And um, that's what I really love about it. it it's a, there are no force carries except the tee of the 18th. And frankly, if you wrap the putter hard enough, you can get it across as well, can burn on both of those holes. And that, by what I mean by that is you're encouraged to play the ball along the ground and let it bounce and roll with the rippling terrain. And that, again, is one of the best, uh, most fun parts. Uh, watching your, your long approach on your trundle along and take what the earth wants to do with it. I think it was Mackenzie who called that the pleasurable excitement of Lynx golf. And, and that's what it is. It, it's, it's fun. It's pleasurable. I mean, what's more fun than, than trying to solve the puzzle of a 50 foot putt with three breaks in it or uh, hitting a green on one hole, let's say from 50 yards, you have to hit a three wood because of the strength of the wind in your face. And on the very next hole, you have another 150 yard shot to the green that you can hit with a wedge because the wind is at your back. Uh, and that just is, there's no more fun than that. And, and then at the 18th hole, if you make a birdie, you get a round of applause from the dozen or so people standing around that green. Um, you know, it's just, there's nothing like course. And that course, more than any other, I've played it, I don't know, between 200 and 300 times. And every time I walk off that 18th green, I think to myself, I can't wait to get out here again. I imagine that it's uh, an experience that never gets old and, and probably an experience that is always new in a way, depending on the, the weather that you're facing uh, and the challenges that are presented once that weather comes in. I don't know if you have any experience or feel sure. like you've had too similar of a round one to the next, um, or if, if each is entirely special in its own right. Uh, but for you to have played it 300 times already and want to keep playing it for the rest of your days, I, it's a, must be a special place for you. There's no place like it. I can't wait to go back this uh, July for the 150th Open. 
That's right. That is a special year this year, and and we will be covering that pretty extensively in our summer issue. It, it's pretty heavily uh, skewed or, or related to all things Scotland and, and the old course. So I hope uh, our readers will enjoy uh, the different ways we're, we're covering uh, the old course in the 150th Open. No, I just got the fir- first piece, first manuscript for that issue just came in uh, from Tom Doak. Uh, we asked him to write a piece called What I Learned, which it will be a, a recounting of his uh, year as a 20-year-old uh, student at uh, University of St. Andrews and uh, the things he learned about uh, the town and the old course and links golf in general. And it's a, it's a terrific job. So we're off to a good start on that issue. Amazing. Thanks for the sneak preview there. I uh, look forward to reading it. And uh, George, thank you again for your time, uh, your answers and your insights. And uh, we've got a lot to look forward to uh, coming up on the golf schedule starting soon with the Masters. Uh, and hope to see you soon and hope to chat again as well about everything you predicted coming true. Yeah, absolutely. All of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hit him straight. We'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, George.